Today on Laura Lynn and Friends. I have concluded that the very high threshold required for the invocation of the act was met. Okay, so I was there last year at this time for the Freedom Convoy 2022. I cannot fathom. Let me wrap it up in one sentence. You shot our government, shot into unarmed citizens who loved Canada, bearing the Canadian flags, thousands of them, nonviolent, no looting, no lighting on fire, no Black Lives Matter routines going on, unarmed citizens. You shot into the crowd, tear gas, you ran over them with your horses, and all of this, you're saying, was justified. Ridiculous. And this Rolo, Rulo, um, isn't he a friend? And possibly, I've heard that he's a relative of Trudeau. You can't get someone who's completely independent? Is this accountability? Is that ridiculous? I think that's ridiculous. It's like, um, you know, me calling for a court case and the judge is my dad's friend. Or the judge is my uncle. Oh, I wonder how he's going to sign. Well, if you ever want to be at a Christmas party again in your lifetime, Uncle Joe, maybe you better side with my version of events. So. How this this is a schmoz kangaroo court nonsense, absolute nonsense. Um, if I can do a quick share on what Maxime Bernier uh, has put up today, uh, he je- he said uh, today Justice Paul uh, Rollo released his verdict on Trudeau's use of the Emergencies Act. It's not there. My share's not there. Oh, let me let me try to do it again then. It was just there, wasn't it? All right, here we go. How's that? Rulo concluded that Trudeau's use of the act was justified in a delirious statement. I like the way that Maxime said that. Delirious statement. He claims that it was reasonable to believe that this peaceful and joyful protest posed a threat to the security of Canada. LOL. <laughs> wow. I have to say I'm profoundly disappointed, but not surprised. Justice Rulo was handpicked by Trudeau to oversee the inquiry. We can't forget that Rouleau has a history as a liberal activist and worked with former Prime Minister John Turner. The commission was not independent, as it should have been. It was liberals investigating liberals. Hilarious. You're all a big joke. You are just a big joke. You know, yeah, um, I need to be investigated, so um, I'm going to call my best friend and my cousin, you know, Ridiculous. Is anyone really surprised that liberals protect their own, he says. At the end of the day, the findings of Rollo don't really matter. We all know that Trudeau would not have resigned even if the commission had found he overstepped his powers. Of course he wouldn't. We all know that Jagmeet Singh would not have held Trudeau accountable by withdrawing his support and forcing an election. Of course he wouldn't. Uh, Jagmeet Singh is is just an, another liberal uh, but he loves to complain against the liberals, but yet he's just, he's just a liberal. 
No matter the findings of this illegitimate inquiry, Trudeau's actions of one year ago exposed him as the tyrant he is. He crushed peaceful protesters with police forces. He threw people in jail on false charges. He froze people's bank accounts without due process. The Freedom Convoy forced Trudeau to show his true colors, and that might be one of the greatest things that we actually got to see. It exposed the opposition, the NDP, the conservatives. Not one conservative out there trying to meet with the people. What about a meeting? The Bloc, all of them, all of the elected officials did not stand with the people. Not one had the, the grace or the, the strength to do it. As incompetent and incapable of holding the government to account. Oh, that's so nice. He actually said my name. I know it's a form letter, but he, he called me personally. Laura Lynn, we must replace these corrupt politicians. <laughs> and of course, he talks about the People's Party, whom I believe in because Maxime Bernier was down there. But it's, it's, not, about, it's not about who did stand in a way. It's about how we were let down by those who should have stood and never did. And never did. I'm very grateful to have been out there. So um, we have the Western Standard uh, article discusses Commissioner Paul Rulo's ruling on liberals invoking the Emergencies Act for Freedom Convoy. So um, Commissioner finds liberals met threshold for invoking the Emergencies Act for Freedom Convoy. Have a look at that today. Okay, let's have a look at the excerpts. Okay, you might have to put it big so I can read that. All right. So these comments, as well as remarks the Prime Minister made at a press conference on January 31st, were interpreted by many as referring to all Freedom Convoy participants. This served to energize the protesters, hardening their resolve and further embittering them towards government authorities. I expect that the Prime Minister was intending to refer to the small number of people who were expressing racist, extremist, or otherwise reprehensible views rather than to all Freedom Convoy participants. It may well be that his comments were taken out of context, including by some media. However, in my view, more of an effort should have been made by government leaders at all levels during the protest to acknowledge that the majority of protesters were exercising their fundamental democratic rights. Okay. Any, another one? Okay. A related scope issue that I heard evidence about pertained to joint bank accounts. An individual who had no connection to the protest could still have had their assets frozen under the EEMO if they held their accounts jointly with a protester. It is not difficult to imagine a scenario where an individual would participate in the protest without the involvement of their spouse or indeed against the spouse's wishes. It is clearly unjust for individuals with no connection to the protest to have their accounts frozen. The difficulty, however, is that this appears to have been unavoidable. None of the parties made submissions on how the EEMO 
could have been structured to avoid this consequence, and I am unable to think of an obvious mechanism myself. The question then is whether the inevitable impact of the EEMO on innocent third parties rendered the measure inappropriate. Again, and not without hesitation, I conclude that the measures were still appropriate. Excluding joint accounts from the EEMO would have allowed the protesters to easily and quickly circumvent it by using or creating joint accounts. Uh, so that's more of the commissioner's findings. Yeah. Too bad, so sad. You might not have even been in agreement. Uh, hey, maybe your spouse went to Ottawa and you weren't happy about it at all, but oh, well, you know, your money's frozen too. You know, and, and oh, maybe you voted for Justin Trudeau. Oh, it doesn't matter. We're just going to freeze your accounts. I'm also satisfied that there, he says, this commissioner, right? I'm also satisfied that there was misinformation about the Freedom Convoy, which was used as a basis to unfairly discredit all protesters. In one example, protesters were blamed for an act of arson in an apartment building, which the police later confirmed had no links to the protests, which... Uh, where there was misinformation and disinformation about the protests, it was prone to amplification in news media. OPP Superintendent Pat Morris testified that as the officer leading the collection of intelligence for the OPP, what he was seeing in the media did not always reflect what the intelligence was showing. Of course it didn't. People would come down there, you know, and they'd say, uh, we just saw in the news what this was about, so we thought that we'd show up, and of course nothing uh, was the same as what you would see on the the Canadian news. Um, oh, you want me to read that? So, protests are messy and some level of unlawfulness can be expected. I do not consider that the protests became an occupation as of the first Saturday. The protesters had any invited to park their trucks for the weekend in various locations in the downtown core. By Monday, however, when they refused to leave, the invitation was clearly revoked. In addition, it was clear that the assembly was no longer peaceful, given the widespread intimidation of residents and the fact that their ability to live and work had been fundamentally disrupted. It was apparent that the police were unable to control the protest and limit unlawful conduct in the protest area. <laughs> what a joke. Unlawful con con conduct. The, the beanie bags being thrown at us, that was unlawful conduct. Shooting people, yeah, beanie bags. Um, shooting people in the face, um, you know, one guy through his cheek, other people very harmed by your little rubber bullets. Could have killed someone, could have ruined someone's eyesight for life. Did you all care? No, you didn't. You shot unarmed people that were on the streets that they pay taxes to be on our capital. Uh, what a joke this is. Um, so is that uh, pretty much what we have for that, JT? So um, can we do number seven, the images NACI, the College of Physicians and Doctors? That one's uh, safe? Okay. So the College of Physicians and Doctors documents are guidance, not rules. CPSO? Yet they're firing. Yet they're firing doctors and employees for not getting shots. Okay, so generally, uh, there are very few acceptable, uh, acceptable medical exemptions to the COVID-19 vaccination. Examples include 
an allergist, immunologist, confirmed severe allergy or anaphylactic re reaction to a previous dose of a COVID-19 vaccine or to any of its components that cannot be mitigated or a diagnosed episode of myocarditis, pericarditis after receipt of an mRNA vaccine. So um, this is basically why anyone would be able to get a, um, an exemption to get the shot. Uh, but the doctors are all uh, being required. If you find yourself in this situation, clearly and sensitively explain to your patient that you cannot provide them with a note or form along with the reasons why. Okay. At this point, the physicians and the college find common cause. The college agrees that the statements are properly characterized as guidance documents, not binding rules. As the Court of Appeal confirmed 25 years earlier, okay, so basically they're saying <clears throat> it's not binding. Is that right? It's not, yeah, we're going to fire you, but it's not actually, yeah, it's not, it's, it's just guidance, you know, but, but do it or else. So that's basically the tyranny. This is really why the truckers went. So many of those truckers, they had their vaccines, they had done what they had to do, but it was like never ending. We, they were going to have to keep getting those. And what happened to my body, my choice? This, this whole thing was about uh, the tyrannical uh, imposing of having to get a medical, um, a medical, no, having to get a medical procedure, call it a shot, um, that, that they would have to, we would have to all get that or what, or we didn't get to go to the restaurant or we didn't get to go to the library or we weren't allowed to go to our kid's soccer game or we couldn't enter our children's school. Um, you know, these are all things that happened or we couldn't have a job anymore. So we're going to have to say goodbye now to, um, well, I can, I can do um, a freedom organizer, Tom Marazzo. Uh, he is consulting lawyers on suing uh, Jugmeet Singh for defamation. And Tom Marazzo, I just want to say, um, he was one of the people that spoke at the Freedom Convoy when we would have uh, these uh, media scrums. So you'd go and you'd hear what the latest was happening. And um, I just really loved Tom Marazzo. I saw him in tears. I saw his heart. I saw him the day that they were moving in and shooting unarmed citizens. And I saw the record where he said, we told them we're leaving. They, the, the army dudes, the big ugly army dudes, the police, everybody had been told that the truckers were leaving. And yet they came in and acted like bullies and crazy people shooting unarmed people. I thought that wasn't allowed. Do you know um, our prime minister has bragged basically on camera that you're not allowed to shoot people who might enter your home to break in, to harm someone. You don't really have that right in Canada. But I guess if you're the government, you can shoot people who don't have any weapons, who are carrying Canadian flags, who are standing up for their rights. Shame. Dark day. A very dark day in Canada. God help you. So we're going to let you go now. Um, 
on YouTube. We have put the description of where we're going to our next guest. We're going to be discussing uh, even more um, difficulties that uh, are going on in our world, uh, injustices and wrongs, crimes against humanity. So we'll leave you now, YouTube. Please come. We're going to have an incredible um, interview right now, and we'd like to see you on the other side. So um, I'm going to go to, should we go to the guest then? All right. But well, first, let me just say that I always read from my dad's Bible. And uh, today it opened to 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's a beautiful verse that my dad underlined. Sometimes I think, what was he going through or what, what was Canada like when my dad underlined this verse? Where was he? I had important conversations with him before he passed away about where our countries were going. My dad was a dual citizen, as I am, and we were watching the destruction of the United States and the destruction of Canada. But this is a promise that if we will humble ourselves and pray and we will turn from our wicked ways, then he will hear us and he will heal, heal our land. It's a, it's a difficult season. Having been there and experienced the act of God, the move of God, for three solid weeks in Ottawa, where God showed up <laughs> with all of us. It was so joyous. I can't even tell you. It was amazing. For a couple of people who may have caused problems, that was nothing. Nothing burgers. I mean, they could have been dealt with on their own. What happened to us was evil and wrong. Absolutely wrong. So, um, I would like to invite our esteemed guest, Sasha Alexandra Lyapovai, probably not saying your name right, and I apologize for that. So uh, she's in the regulatory and manufacturing investigations business. She's ex-pharma biotech with 25 years of experience in clinical trials, clinical technologies, and regulatory approvals owned and managed several contract research organizations and worked for 60-plus pharma companies worldwide. She interacted with the FDA as part of Scientific Industry Consortium or Improving Cardiac Safety Assessments in Clinical Trials. Sasha, welcome to the show. One of the things that you have said is that you believe that these shots are actually bioweapons. Yes, that's correct. Um, so the, the technology the gene therapy has been designated as a class of biological weapon since at least 1997, when I found uh, several government reports and academia reports uh, discussing various uh, biowarfare agents. And uh, one of the classes, there were six classes, one of them is gene therapy as a weapon. Uh, and so this has been known for a long time. And it's not a secret, it's publicly available information. 
um, uh, so uh, current use of these products, and I, I've gone through several years of investigation as a, and now I'm doing it as a private citizen, just using my knowledge uh, from uh, research in pharmacological agents and manufacturing practices of, of those things. And I've determined that uh, they cannot, first of all, they cannot, the pharma companies cannot manufacture them to what's called good manufacturing practices. Uh, which is a set of laws, both in the United States and Canada and all Western world, and actually pretty much all over the world, uh, where it's a consumer consumer safety, consumer protection laws that um, require manufacturers to have a very tightly controlled process, uh, especially when it relates to pharmaceuticals, which is something that you cannot uh, directly, as a consumer, you cannot directly determine the composition of it. So you have to trust what's in that vial or what's in that um, container. Uh, same for the healthcare providers. When they get it off the shelf, they cannot directly examine it and say, oh, it doesn't work. So they have to trust what's in that bottle. Uh, and for them to trust that, we have a set of laws that regulate how they're supposed to be produced, the process of making them. And so when I examine the documentation that exists for these so-called vaccines, I realized that uh, nobody actually controls that process. There is no, there's no assurance that what the farmers are making is actually what they're describing. And it's both from documentation and from uh, observation of the adverse events and the variability of these adverse events per batch of produced product. So since it's a designated class of bioweapon for, for, for 30 years now, and the farmers are making it, but can't assure us that what they're making is conforms to the specification. Uh, that that's called pharmaceutical fraud, pharmaceutical manufacturing fraud. What they're performing, and uh, therefore they're making a weapon, because the 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 it's indistinguishable from its use as a weapon, and they cannot assure us that it's not. Right. I mean, one of the things I've seen over and over, Sasha, is people questioning what's actually uh, in in these um, these shots. Mm -hmm. And then uh, private labs have actually pulled them apart. We've had uh, doctors on with lab slides of shocking things that are actually mm -hmm. in these um, in these shots. And there's there's no you know, nowhere is it written that it has these items in there. And now we're, th we're seeing things like uh, William, Dr. William Mackis, Substack, pointing out that at least 10 Canadian young adults ages 20 to 21 died suddenly in January 2023. That's in, in one month. Unexplained deaths in young adults are skyrocketing. I had a guest on yesterday saying that a 12-year-old um, a boy has died suddenly in Nova Scotia. And I got word on that. I believe Shane, right, that she reported there was actually two young kids mm -hmm. that have died suddenly. Um, and they, the, the thing that is in common is these shots. Uh, this is very disturbing. And so w when you're outing all of this, how... How are people uh, responding to the information that you're putting out? Do you find that the medical authorities in Canada or the United States or anyone is listening to what you're saying? Well, for two years, uh, nobody has been listening. Uh, I mean, there are obviously there are groups of people and um, I have seen 
collaborated with a number of scientists who are directly testing the, the vials, as you're referring to. So there has been a, um, a uh, nice, very nice paper written, a uh, huge paper, actually 100 pages or so, uh, in a peer-reviewed journal uh, of an of a investigator. He's a professor in, in London. And uh, he compiled information from about uh, 26 different research efforts all over the world, completely independent of each other, looking at the vials. And I recently, yesterday, just put up a, a, an article on my Substack also talking about another one. And somebody actually sequenced the contents of the vials, which is very difficult to do, and you have to have specialized equipment. Uh, yes, yeah, because vials of Pfizer and Moderna are contaminated. Um, so you're correct. There are all sorts of very concerning things that, that people find in them. And that, you know, from direct observations, just under optical microscope, they see chunks of stuff, they see structures, they see an unusual patterns and uh, contaminants that are very, very large than it's supposed to be in an injectable product. And then, uh, you know, this most recent um, effort was done by somebody who is uh, very experienced in, in sequencing of RNA, DNA uh, products. And so he has done that and he found that, well, not only the RNA is completely broken, which we knew about this before this, I have been reporting on it for two years now. So the RNA is completely non-conforming to what the manufacturers are saying. It's just pieces of RNA that have, that they, they don't conform to the specification, it's supposed to be 4,200 nucleotides, a specific sequence, supposedly coding for spike protein. Uh, but in, in reality, they have just broken pieces of God knows what RNA coding for who knows what. Uh, so that's what he found as well. Uh, and then he also found a, a huge contamination with um, uh, genes that are coding for antibiotic resistance. And that's coming from the manufacturing process because part of the manufacturing process, they, they have to buy so-called DNA matrix that uh, by design contains antibiotic resistance genes because that's the only way to increase the biomanufacturing yields and uh, make sure that it's kind of like a, they use it as a marker. So, so these biomolecular uh, engineers uh, engineer antibiotic resistance as part of their manufacturing process. And that's been known. It's, it's a known practice. But before this so-called RNA revolution. This was a very small niche problem. And uh, they could justify it by saying, well, we, we need it for, for our purposes. And it's so small that it doesn't really affect anyone. Well, now they're producing this DNA matrix by kilograms. So you, you can imagine kilograms of material that also contains lots and lots of uh, antibiotic resistance genes to very commonly use antibiotics. And then that uh, contamination gets injected every time somebody gets injected with this thing. So every time people receive antibiotic-resistant genes into their system. So beside all kinds of other issues, they also now are factories producing antibiotic-resistant bacteria themselves. Wow. Um, so, so that's concerning, right? So we have this... For years, they're crying about antibiotic resistance is increasing. This is, you know, a huge problem in hospitals. 50% of ICU patients affected by this, and that increases mortality. And now they're doing it on purpose. And, they, and this has been a known problem. And so this person just, just wow. confirmed this. 
So, so um, um, just to clarify, because uh, you have so much information and we're all mm -hmm. like not trained, uh, we appreciate yeah. this. So are you saying that taking these shots will make your body um, resistant to antibiotics? Yeah, not only that, you will be producing that antibiotic resistant bacteria because you will be excreting it essentially from your system, just like you normally do. So whoever you are interacting with in your household, first of all, if somebody has a compromised immune system, well, you're a threat to them now. Uh, if you go to the hospital and you get admitted to the hospital for, for some other reason, and you have this in your system, well, then you're a threat to the entire hospital. I want to show you this share that I have up here, Sasha. Um, thyroid problems post-COVID-19 mRNA vaccination. A new Japan study shows increased thyroid, uh, thyroid autoantibodies after two doses of the booster. We're finding all over across the world, cancers up, um, of course, myocarditis, um, people having strokes, all kinds of athletes either dropping dead mm -hmm. or you know, having issues. Um, is, is, do you believe from everything that you know as a very trained person that, that these shots are literally going to be the damage and the killing shots for many people? Uh, yes, we already know that. Um, there's huge increase in uh, excess deaths, uh, all-cause mortality all over the world, and it's uh, perfectly correlated with the vaccination rates in the country. So the data comes across very frightening uh, in the U.S. Most recent, I mean, it goes up and down uh, in periods. There are some periods when it's higher, some periods when it's lower. We still, we always have excess mortality. Like since the since the rollout of these shots, there is persistent increase in uh, excess mortality, which is extremely concerning. And it's anywhere, you know, Germany recently reported 40%, which is just, uh, I, I don't know, it's just stunning. And US um, is a larger country and we have about 12, 15% consistently. Uh, there are different reports saying that anywhere from 300,000 to 600,000 extra deaths can be directly attributed to these shots in the United States. I mean, you can kind of project the same number for, for Canada, for example, and probably higher for Canada because the vaccination rate is higher because the tyranny was much more, uh, you know, pre prevalent, I would say, in, in, in Canada. It still is. So, yeah, so that's a, that's a huge problem. And also the birth rate decline because we know that this, uh, these shots have direct impact on fertility in, in women and also in men. These uh, materials, these lipid nanoparticles, they go to the ovaries. We know that from animal studies. They also distribute to the testicles, so they ruin basically the reproductive potential and we don't know how how long the damage will last if it's if it can be healed if it cannot be healed we just don't know we don't have the data so um for you personally sasha when all of this began happening when they began telling us that we have to get uh these these shots um one of the the people that was outing a whole bunch of information on fertility and uh, reproductive issues and women's menstrual strike cycles uh, kind of, you know, going all crazy was Naomi Wolf. I don't know if you mm -hmm. ever followed her, but as with yeah. what you knew, um, 
did you see that actually they had they had known that there were problems, but it was kind of hidden. Like Pfizer did not really, they were not upfront about what they knew from their early mm -hmm. clinical trials. Oh, this, this was known even before the clinical trials. This was known for about 20 years. As I said, I mean, the gene therapy category has been around for a very long time. And uh, there are numerous regulatory guidances written about it, and the regulatory knowledge is extensive and pretty much all bad. So uh, in order to push these things on the market, they simply renamed them from gene therapies to vaccines. But the technology did not change. Technology is just as dangerous as it was when it was called gene therapy. So this was known. The reproductive potential impact was known. Uh, the um, uh, And then I saw it, I reviewed both uh, preclinical preclinical is animal studies, uh, packages for Moderna and for Pfizer. And uh, they both have impact because the lipid nanoparticle distributes all over the body and goes to the, or to the reproductive organs like ovaries and testicles in large amounts. Uh, and then specifically in Moderna's case, uh, the, they did, the company did the study in rats and they have demonstrated statistically significant increase in, well, first of all, uh, maternal toxicity. So the pregnant rats were losing fur, losing weight and uh, being very sick in correlation with the highest exposure to this product. And then uh, the babies were uh, born with skeletal malformations. And that was also a statistically significant increase determined and written up by Moderna and submitted to the FDA. And then FDA, what did they do? They on the, on the labeling, they issued uh, the labeling that it's still on their website that says there is no vaccine-related skeletal malformations. So FDA lied on behalf of Moderna. They hid this information for over a year while they were pushing this product on, uh, on pregnant women at very aggressively all over the world, you know, of course, in Canada also. And uh, I, we only found it, I, I got access to it only because Judicial Watch filed FOIA, then FOIA was declined, then they sued HHS for this information. So that took over a year to get that package of documents to get that material. And only after I read it and pointed it out, we started talking about it. And it still is not known by majority, vast majority of people. Uh, so this is how they did it. Sasha, it's so shocking um, that we just have lost all trust in our medical authorities. We've lost all trust in anyone speaking out loud. In Canada here, Dr. Teresa Tam. In the United States of America, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, all of them have lied. They have used safe and effective nonstop. Um, one of the good things that happened, sort of highlighting what you're saying, is the recent apology uh, of Dr. Drew, and I do have that clip, if you'll allow me to uh, run that. And um, I, I want to start with um, a very sincere apology. I want to, as, as, as effusively as I can, fall on my sword. And I want to explain why and what and, and frame it. So sit back and enjoy this if you like this kind of thing. So <laughs> we now know that uh, we have a Pfizer, a very significant Pfizer executive on the record saying that they knew about these menstrual irregularities being a very serious concern. I have now seen uh, pathological specimens that show excess spike protein in the ovaries, in the adrenal gland. Uh, we, the, these uh, 
the executive in the Project Veritas case pointed out that he thought maybe it had something to do with the hypothalamic pituitary axis, which is a very common sort of, it's a very delicate cycling system, a neuroendocrine system that women have that can get easily set off. But we now know some of the possible mechanisms, not just the ovaries, uh, but also there could be, we've seen excess spike protein now in the myelin and actually in the neuronal cell walls. So it could actually be direct neuronal effects. And we also know that spike protein is affecting plasminogen activator inhibitor by inhibiting that inhibitor and causing problems with bleeding and clotting. And we, of course, also know now that this spike protein is very much a part of what we call an endotheliitis or a lining of the artery problem. That so I think it's pretty good, um, Sasha, that we've got a couple of more mainstream doctors beginning to go, uh-oh you know, and admitting that they were not taking anything seriously. And and now the evidence is really coming out, but we don't see Dr. Bonnie Henry or Dr. Dina Henshaw um, giving up their huge paychecks to actually tell the truth because maybe that's what they'd have to do because it's not part of the narrative that is allowed to be spoken. Yes, exactly. And as I said, all this information was available publicly. I don't have any secret files of anything. Uh, there, there have been some leaked documentation, but also that's available publicly and has been for two years. So people could have read this and could have made their own opinion about it, but they prefer their paychecks and they prefer their mainstream large audiences uh, uh, that eat up their every word and they prefer to be an expert that way as opposed to independently examining the evidence and coming up with their own independent conclusion. I, I just want to point out that uh, yesterday, uh, the, the Surgeon General of Florida is the first public health uh, official in that capacity in, this, in, high, in high office in the state of Florida. He finally wrote a letter, and, and I know he's a, he's a good person. He has a lot of information on this now. Uh, he's taking it seriously. He wrote a letter to Rochelle Walensky and to Robert Califf, which is commissioner of the FDA, and Rochelle Walensky is, the, is head of CDC. And he wrote the letter saying, we have in the state of Florida a 4,400% increase in adverse events re recorded in VAERS after this vaccination, and asking them to explain this. And I applaud that, but that percentage increase has been there for two years, and he just found it. So again, I'm saying he's a great guy, he's a hero, but this is what anyone could have done. Any one of these experts could have done it wow, uh, long ago. It's so shocking. So mm -hmm. in your personal journey, um, how long did it take you to decide that you weren't going to be taking these shots? Oh, I uh, pretty much, uh, you know, I had a benefit of having knowledge of the gene therapy class, although very cursory. Uh, from about 2008 and I, I ran across that class in, in during my work in pharma and I examined it not very deeply just as I said superficially and I immediately saw a lot of risks and, and I just kind of put it out of my mind. Uh, but then when they started talking about this as a prophylactic vaccination, especially for healthy people, women and children, that, you know, kind of perked my ears immediately. And I went back and started looking into it more seriously. And I immediately saw all of this and the regulatory guidance is there available. They're on FDA's website. You just, just Google gene therapy FDA guidance and you will see it. Uh, and so all of this is absolutely right 
out there available. So for me, um, well, the, the main wake up call for me was when they were lying and suppressing hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and, and taking doctor's licenses away for this, which was immediately very, very shocking. And I knew that bad things were going on. But then when they started talking about this as a prophylactic vaccine, I was like, okay, that's it. Uh, I don't know what's going on, but I cannot trust anything that comes out of their mouth. And that's, that's what I started doing. I, I was like, I have to look at it myself. I have to examine the evidence and I have to make my own judgment. Um, Sasha, when you add together sort of their, um, their dogma about taking this vaccine, when we've had open talk about depopulation, when we were seeing all of these train wrecks across the United States within a, a one week period, um, a, a very bizarre fire uh, was going on yesterday that I saw in a, a plant with a lot of plastics and it's just, I think it's in Orlando action Kissimmee and Kissimmee and um and and then you see like sort of you know I remember when hydroxychloroquine was being banned from use two hydroxychloroquine plants were up in flames I watched mm -hmm. all of it closely because I've been on hydroxychloroquine uh for for many years actually because I have lupus but um when do you, as you add all of the puzzle pieces together you begin to go what the heck is going on? And I think mm -hmm. we've come to some conclusions that there might be some very powerful forces, maybe faces and people whose names we don't even know that are behind something very insidious. What do you yes. think? Yes, absolutely. So we, we know for sure now that uh, the federal government and federal health officials are completely captured by um, I know, forces that are working against us, United States citizens, against our constitution and our rights. And so these um, agencies have been captured. FDA, as I've demonstrated, has been lying about um, burst effects and uh, pregnancy risks, openly lying. It's documented that they're lying uh, to the public. So if that doesn't wake up professionals, I don't know what will. And I, I don't know what it's taking so long and why everyone is like the preference, the majority of people preferences to just fall in line and follow the orders and collect the paycheck versus uh, saying stop. And we have to we have to examine what's going on. We have to become advocates for for others. Like if you have patients in your care, if you have students that you're teaching, if you have family members or neighbors, or you, you can become their protector. And, and actually it's your duty to do so. If you have uh, any even small position like this, like position of, of power or authority or something. Yet I see doctors pushing this on their patients, doctors pushing it on their pregnant, pregnant uh, women patients, uh, pushing it on children, the pediatricians, that's just an atrocity in my mind. So why then, you know, they need to wake up. They need to examine the evidence for themselves. Don't take my word for it, but you can go to my Substack and you can see the documents that I've referenced and you can read them yourself. And we appreciate that. And I think we've had her Substack uh, under her name. Have we, JT? Yeah. So um, people are wanting to know how to follow you. And so that's very, mm -hmm. very good. Um, thank you very much for, um, for basically standing up, telling the truth. So many haven't, uh, Sasha. I don't know what has given you that strength. I'd like to close with that question to you. Why did you decide not to be part of the army of de deception broadcasters? 
Well, what made you say, I'm going to speak up, not just sit there with the knowledge quietly, but actually speak out? Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I don't, I wasn't a journalist or, or even didn't have a social media presence. I, I had my own private life, but I started speaking about it because uh, I saw what's going on. I was immediately very concerned. It became really, really scary from a professional standpoint, knowing what impact it can have on masses of people who are just given this uh, blank vial with blank um, product insert and, and all these healthcare professionals just blindly taking it and injecting into people. That's just, it's just a recipe for a complete disaster, which came true. Uh, and, and so that gave me the strength to start speaking up because I said, well, if this is possible, then something is really, really bad is going with the world. And I, you know, like I actually, uh, kind of called Solzhenitsyn on this. He said at some point, you know, the, the lies, yeah, maybe paraphrasing the lies can come into the world, the evil and the lies can come into the world and even triumph, but not through me. Not through you. Oh, you're amazing. <laughs> you're a hero. I just thank you so much. I just love what you're doing. I, I just thank God that you are able to, to find that strength within you to not be silent at this hour and to put it out on your Substack. Thank you very much. I'd like to have another update with you because time's gonna go on. We're gonna have more revelations, I think, of what is happening to our fellow human beings uh, in our communities, our families. Um, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again, Sasha. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Thank you. Amazing. I appreciate people telling the truth. And that was some really damning information. Um, I'm going to go to Joe Rogan now, who is, uh, again, talking about this. This whole Freedom Convoy thing, what was it about? It was about the government forcing us to take these shots. Uh, the, the truckers had to be forced to take the shots to cross the border and whatnot. And, you know, it was just harming their livelihood. Many of them um, hadn't taken the shots and many had taken the shots and then it was coming down that you're going to have to take more and more and more shots and the harms had already started. We had numerous people. We, uh, there was somebody up on the stage at the Freedom Convoy talking about a 17-year-old who had died and these were real stories. Took the shot, died. This is happening all the time. Please read uh, Dr. Macus Macus MD uh, substack on the continuing deaths being rolled out every day. It's over 120 doctors dead. We're going to go into, he's starting to track the university students that have now been harmed. Um, going to track police officers. It's all, it's all coming out. Um, so Joe Rogan uh, ends up blasting the Trudeau government owned CBC, defends Canadians and discusses what Canada has become under Trudeau. Take a listen. There was a thing on the CBC and it was talking about the word freedom and that the word freedom is being used many times by uh, far-right activists. Freedom. Here, I'll send it to you, Jamie, because this is, this is so f***ing Canada is so f***ing wild right now. It's such a, tr such a like, really crazy place. Here it is. Why the word freedom is such a useful rallying cry for <laughs> protesters. The word has become common amongst far-right groups. So by, by putting that wow. far-right in there far right but like there's no indication whatsoever that those truckers in canada were far right 
a lot of those are working class people yeah. that just did not like the idea that they were being forced to do this medical procedure in order to keep their job. And so they label them as far right. Yeah. Trudeau personally labeled them as racists and misogynists. Just like, just so he could disparage them. Yeah. Just so like whatever they say doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So this is what they're doing here with the term freedom, which is like one of the most basic tenets for human rights, your liberty as a human being, your ability to express yourself, your ability to talk about things, to protest, to do what you want. That's what Freedom I mean. is so f***ing important. It well, <laughs> he says it in a certain kind of special way. <laughs> Am I on? I'm on my, my sound, just making sure. <laughs> um, it is, um, it's a staggering day. So they've lied. They've colluded to give this pathetically um, unbiased or biased um, assault against the Freedom Convoy, and they're wicked. They are wicked to the core. I'm going to now uh, leave you shortly. Uh, just before I do, I'm going to read a scripture, and then I will tell you about um, our award-winning guest. She's an investigative uh, journalist and interviewer, Trish Wood. Before I go... I'm going to just read you from uh, Psalms 59. And where do I begin? Uh, for the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. For the curses and the lies that they utter, consume them in your wrath. Consume them till they are no more. And then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over our land. They return at evening snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. They wander about for food and howl if not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength and I sing praise to you. God, you are my fortress, my God, in whom I can rely. So we can't trust any of our leaders. Liars, deceivers, they collude against the people. They bring damning assaults against us. Their testimony is full of lies. The only hope is our God. The only hope is our God. And I want to just say one brief thing. There's a guy, nice guy, uh, a warrior calls, and he does seem to say nasty stuff about me here and there, saying that I'm not a fighter, that I'm just all about the viewers, that I'm not fighting hard to bring the truth, and that it's about, you know, making money. That's hysterical. Uh, that it's... Um, that I'm, I'm not genuine as he's purporting his thing. He wants us to all get on the same board as, you know, that the virus was never isolated. I've had people on saying that. I'm putting information out there. And um, I think he's angry because when him and Marcus Ray were going to do this big event, I had people asking me if, you know, if that's what they should be doing. Marcus Ray had presented some dialogue that seemed a little perhaps maybe not the route to go. I had said to him at that time, and I said publicly, maybe we should have all, you know, had a conversation at least, invite us to a, um, 
a Zoom meeting so that we can say, what, what are you thinking to do and, and what, should, what should we do? Um, so I'm not against him. Uh, I don't, sometimes I don't agree with his ideas, but I don't think he needs to be putting me down and I'm not going to put him down. So I would appreciate not putting me down. He talks about, you know, that, that I haven't reached out, that people have asked me to reach out to him. And some people have on email. They've asked me to reach out to Marcus Ray. Um, I'm really busy. I don't know, you know, if he'd like to have a conversation with me, pretty sure he's got my number or he knows someone who does. So I welcome um, him to give me a call. But stop dissing. We, we have to be very careful that we don't become divided because we're standing on the same side. So I didn't like that I got sent a video. You're saying stupid stuff about me and you want me to work with you. Does that make sense? That doesn't make sense. I don't like what you're saying and it's deflammatory. You need to stop. Don't talk about me. Don't say stuff that's not true. None of that's true. We're in a real bind in here, Canada. If you think that you have the solution, which he seems to think we have to all get on the same page for his solution, whatever that is. Um, I've tried to listen to it. It's, you know, it's long. We're, we're in trouble. Um, our government has literally just supported what Justin Trudeau did in harming unarmed citizens. The best thing I can say is this scripture that my dad underlined in his Bible, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them and I will heal their land. The answer is God. That is the answer. I love what's going on in Asbury right now, down in the States. There's this revival breaking out. It's like, you know, 150 hours of nonstop 24-hour worship. That's beautiful. And it was interesting, wasn't it, JT, that uh, last night Tucker Carlson reported that they were going to head down there to film it and show it. And uh, Asbury said, you know, we love your show, Tucker, but just please don't come. This is all just about praising God. This is about worshiping God. God is about to turn something upside down. And he doesn't need me leading the pack. And he doesn't need a warrior calls. He just needs people to turn from their wicked ways and to follow God, to repent from what our nation has become. And I'll tell you one more thing before I throw to this, and that is that there are people that need to stand up for the kids in our nation against these evil school boards. I just heard a video that Action for Canada has put out. I contacted Tanya. I said, I can't even air it. I cannot subject my audience to listen to a book that is in the schools in our country. I, I can't even put it out. I'm so sorry. I, I, you know, you guys, we've heard some things on this show, and sometimes it's just hard stuff. Like, this is beyond the pale. It is beyond anything you, it is so sick. After having to go through it, I, I was scarred. I was just mortified what the books are saying. And Willow uh, Reichelt, or whatever her name is, in, in um, Chilliwack, the Chilliwack School Board, and Ms. Bondar, the uh, sex 
sex queen who does her videos, um, you're all sicker than I ever imagined. You're sitting there telling people to shut up and not speak out on these books, coming against former trustees, coming against people that care, parents very upset, reading that book aloud and literally, it's so disgusting. If you are not removing these books immediately, I question whether you don't have a serious psychiatric problem. I question if there are pedophiles literally sitting on the board because you would not allow this if you had any sense of decency. It's an abomination. You're really so off on this. It's disgusting. You need to be removed. If you see a... Um, there's, a, I think there's a document going around asking for their removal. Sign it, everyone. They're crazy, literally. My God, help us, Jesus. So I'd like to introduce to you, um, I did an interview yesterday. So it was with the beautiful, lovely Trish Wood, a woman whose soul is very, very beautiful. She's an award-winning investigative journalist and interviewer. Trish Wood has been blowing up conventional wisdom for decades, a television and radio trailblazer. She's renowned for chasing organized crime bosses through Tokyo, exposing crooked religious cranks, dodging drunken teens with guns at checkpoints in war-torn Burundi, and setting free innocent men. Trisha's intrepid reporting landed exclusive guests and won her fans' accolades and occasionally her critics as well. Now she's bringing to a podcast her electric, electric interviewing style, hard-won wisdom, and wicked sense of humor, crushing agenda-driven overload with critical thinking. Trisha's deep empathy for the downtrodden but fearless questioning of the powerful creates profound moments. Neither left nor right of center, she is a libertarian, she calls herself, in her head, but a champion of the working class in her heart. She can't be pigeonholed and refuses to see the world through the lens of manufactured talking points and toxic dogma. What I really love about this lady is that her and I might be on um, some different ideological belief systems, but she speaks the truth and she does it well. She's got the right side of critical thinking. This was my interview with Trish Wood, and uh, be blessed, everyone. I'm headed to Calgary, Alberta to interview and, well, to, to actually just, you know, be at the event with Christina Anderson. So I'll, I'll give you updates on that. The lovely Trish Wood, take it away. Trish, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it, and uh, I've been a longtime admirer, so it's a real Likewise. honor for me. Uh, you know, since we're in this uh, amazing industry that is sometimes, uh, uh, you know, it's a, a pitfall right now, depending on whether you speak the truth and if it might get you in trouble these days. So you've been in a bit of trouble in your past. Oh, I've been in lots of trouble in my past. Yeah. And it's made me the person I am today. You know, it's made me a, a better person and a better journalist in many ways. You know, we I won't get too philosophical because we've got a lot of important stuff to talk about. But um but I do, I do think that we, um, you know, when we have bumps in life, 
we have to really look at our role in them, don't we? And that's how we grow. So we get philosophical, we think about them, and we we make amends when we hurt people, and then we grow, don't we? So my life has been a bit of that. And that's good training for a reporter, because you end up being pretty empathetic toward people. Yeah. 100%. The more we go through, we do find that deeper uh, empathy in our soul for for others, and it helps yeah. us to have a lot of wisdom. Um, yeah. You, uh, I, I want to touch on that you were recently kind of involved with the Freedom Convoy thing, but you stepped back from that. The Well, it wasn't the Freedom Convoy thing. It was the um, Inquiry? Citizens Inquiry. Yes, I was their spokesperson, okay. mm-hmm. and I was so honored to do it. Preston stepped away, and uh, they asked me to do it, and I was really wanting to do it because, by God, we need a Citizens Inquiry. You know, do you think the government and legacy media are going to investigate themselves? I don't think so, right? Or make an inquiry about this? No. The citizens have to do it. The citizens have had to do everything around COVID, haven't we? Um, so I was thrilled to do it. But at there's a point, my, my, my since I started the podcast in, uh, I think it was April of 2020, right after the lockdown started, I knew there was a problem because of my science background. I seemed to be one of about four people who were speaking up about it. Um, and I thought to myself, well, I got to I gotta say yes to everybody. So my policy has been when I'm asked to do things, to speak at a conference, to do a show, to do this, that I always say yes, because the people are not getting the straight goods from legacy media, as you know. You say that, I'm sure, every day. And your show serves the same, the same purpose very much. So, um, but I'm, I'm at a point now where I have to say no, I think, a bit. Because, number one, I'm burned out, as I'm sure you are, too. You do a show every day, don't you? Yes. Mister, I don't know how you do it. Um, and they, you can't take holidays because they get mad. Your, your supporters get mad, right? When they say, oh, you know, relax, but they don't mean it. They really want you there. I know. Uh, right? They do. And and so um, I've been doing this full on pedal to the metal for almost three years. I said yes to the inquiry initially just to be temporary. And then they said, can you do it permanently? And I said, of course. But then kind of realized how much work it was to do. And I, it meant I would be short shrifting, you know, somebody. So I... I stepped away, but I fully, fully, fully support them. And and like the truckers, I'm uplifted by the level of commitment to the project by these people, most of whom are volunteers. It's just astonishing. This is a great country. Remember, for the truckers, people around the world were saying, go Canada. Like, we really kick butt with the truckers and, and got a movement going worldwide. So um, I think there's a bit of that same energy around the inquiry, although the inquiry is more of a sober, you know, look at what happened. It's less, I think, uh, agenda driven, although that's something one has to navigate because anybody who thinks that nothing bad happened from public policy during COVID is a fool. I mean, I'm sorry, we're not gonna pretend the plane didn't crash, the plane crashed, right? Now we're gonna try and find out why it crashed, right? So so it's hard because, um, you know, they're in a situation, it's kind of like the 9-11 Commission report, I think, like everybody recognized there was an issue that needed to be fixed. But but um, it's hard because the tone and the vitriol have been so massively keeping us divided that, you know, it would be easy to do an inquiry and not care what the other side thought. And, and I think they are trying 
trying really hard to say, look, give us a chance, listen to what we're saying. Please just listen to us. Don't do the ad hominem legacy media attacks on us. Try to listen to what we're saying. And, and I hope if legacy media would do that, and some of the people in science, like the science tables across the country and the medical officers of health, I know many of them will secretly be agreeing with many of the witnesses who are testifying. So that's all good, but I'm not part of it. It was just too, too much. And that's a good thing because it means it's getting big and important and it requires more time and that's good for well, whoever's I, I just thank you though, that you were willing to uh, put your, you know, name forward and perhaps because of that other people you know have have taken up and you certainly can't do it all you are only one person and you've done amazing things for our country you have been willing to speak i don't know exactly where you got that strength i know we've spoken before about it you've had many um personal uh experiences that have caused you to be very very strong and to speak yeah. against the insanity that's going on and and you're one of the people willing to do that um jamie reed uh recently Kind of came out with some information uh regarding the this transgender um situation uh we had some guys on yesterday you know they went they went into high school to to the principal to say listen we don't think the guy should be going in the girls washroom and of course the principal suspended this young man this kid what's his what's the kid's name yeah josh josh alexander josh i mean what a hero he is you know because I, I, there's probably not a week goes by that I don't say, where are the men? You know, women are being thrown under the bus by trans extremists every day. They want to chop our heads off and they say, so they were carrying signs in Scotland saying, let's decapitate turfs of which I am a proud one, an old school feminist. This is all misogyny. If you ask me, well, it just is whether you ask me or not, it's, it's that's what it is. So for this young guy to do that is extraordinary. You know, it's a, at a time in life where the, they all want to be the cool ones and trans is cool now. So this kid is really, he's bucking the trend and, and um, I hope he does not regret it. I said to somebody the other day who's been through all the nonsense around COVID in their professional life. And I said, you, no one ever regrets doing the right thing. Even if in the moment, like say Francis Christian, our wonderful surgeon, who was fired for saying a caution about kids getting the myocarditis shot. Um, you know, he knows he's writing poetry and so he's fine now, right? So if you do the right thing, it hurts in the moment when you pay the price, but you don't regret it later. You know, you talked about, you know, me keeping going. I'm a recovering alcoholic and I say it because I think it helps people. Um, I just, in a very non-heroic way could not have been any other way around this like i walked around in a state of being enraged at every lie at every kid who for every kid who was locked out of school for every kid who committed suicide for everybody who said goodbye to a loved one on a freaking ipad because the hospitals had drunk the kool-aid and didn't think our humanity mattered anymore i mean yeah so so you know, I, I think those of us who get really triggered on a human level, like the Jay Bhattacharya people and the Peter McCullough people, um, that that kind of energy carried us through. But it's not sustainable, right? You can't live in fight or flight. And so um, I'm And a lot of people, I think, have gotten PTSD, you oh. know, just the, the trauma that everyone's experienced. Um, take a shot or lose your job. Take a shot or you can't be in sports. Take this shot or, uh, you know, you can't be a doctor or a nurse anymore. 
Um, this is traumatizing. Never mind. Take a shot or you don't get to go to the keg for dinner or cactus club. Take a shot or you're not allowed into your kids sports event. This is traumatizing what's happened to us. Totally. I missed my kids graduation from from uni from Dalhousie University. I couldn't fly to see him graduate with honors. He's an excellent kid. He did his whole uh, degree the last two or I guess two years in a basement apartment in Halifax. He never spent we're spending all this money on a fancy school and he never gets to walk on the campus because it's closed. The teachers are all cowering under their desks, sacrificing our children as human shields, right? I mean, yeah, so harder on him than it was for me, but I, I didn't like that, but but I'm lucky, you know, he said, it's okay, mom, don't come. You know, my brother will come, you can stay. And he supported that. And And actually what was interesting about him is that at the beginning of COVID, both my boys thought I was just some angry old hag, like mom's off on another thing. What is it this time? You know, she's arguing with public health. But now the youngest one who's 22 is totally red-pilled on COVID. He's a science major. He's saying, mom, what are they doing? I was like, I don't know. And my older one less so, he's, um, he's a psychotherapist. So he's a bit more in the, he gets it now, but he's kind of a bit more in the kind of mushy thinking, right? Rather than the, either the shot works or it doesn't camp, which I'm in. Yeah. Yes. And you know, um, you, you look at everything from the way the mainstream media, uh, you understand it more than most people do, but are you, do you have any, any explanation for the silence on mainstream media's perspective on this, not allowing, Dr. Mackis is putting out um, amazing information on 120 dead doctors. Uh, he just did 10, doc, uh, 10 young people between 20 and 21 just died in January. Um, nobody's reporting on it. It's a very interesting problem. I did a whole show on the idea that was kind of based on the thought, if a tree falls in the forest and no one sees it, did it really fall? And I think that they are all secretly and subconsciously thinking if we don't acknowledge it, if we don't acknowledge it, we're not going to get in trouble for causing this problem, right? I did see a study that showed a way for in postmortem the, the person doing the autopsy to determine if the heart attack was caused by the shot or not. They couldn't just say, well, he had a heart attack. We don't know if it was the shot. There is a certain event that happens mechanically that you can. And I thought, well, that's going to settle it. They'll all be ordered to look for that when they do an autopsy on a heart attack victim. But they weren't. So the study is there, but nobody's using it, right? So I think this is going to go on and on and on. And Tess Laurie said to me, and I believe it now that we've just got to get used to the idea that they're not going to acknowledge. And I want to talk about East Palestine before we run out of Palestine, before we yes. run out of um, yes, out of time please. here, because I, I was an environmental reporter and I do have something to say about it. But yes, please. but but Tess Laurie said, you know, Trish, we've got to just recognize the fact they're not going to admit it. They're not going to say they're sorry. And we have to get really spiritual that 10 more studies is not going to convince them of the shot is a problem. Look at, we just got the Cochrane study on mass slam dunk. It's over. There's literally no evidence mass work. And I see people, I'm sure Sunnybrook Hospital, where I was just in for a procedure, they slapped a mask on me, is still using them because we're not in a land now where facts matter and people change their minds. So it's going to be 
probably a generational shift here with historians picking it over. I don't think. And Kevin Bass, who wrote the Newsweek piece, as an up and coming doctor, he got a lot of a lot of positive attention, including from me. I read it on my show, and then I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? Like it's safe for you to stick your head up now. He was just on Joe Rogan, right? This young guy, and I thought. Why aren't you celebrating the people who really took a risk here, who were saying from day one, who figured it out from day one, from two simple things, right? The risk stratification, it's mostly old sick people that was known, right? And the actual infection fatality rate. Anybody who figured those things out in March knew that what they were doing was wrong and was going to be a disaster, right? You didn't have to be Carl Sagan to get it. So for these people now to be coming out, yes, I agree, it's great, Newsweek did it, and yay, go Kevin. But but where were you two years ago when it was dangerous and people lost their careers for saying what he said, right? Like, I'm sorry, I can't cheer for that. I, I'm not cheering for it. It's probably mean, and I should probably uh, pray for Kevin. That would be- <laughs> no, I, I'm, in, I'm in complete <laughs> agreement with you, absolutely. And let's talk also, I mean, it kind of ties in with um, East Palestine because yeah. they're also, the mainstream media is not covering what's going on there. I, I look at, I, I am as mad as a cat on a hot tin roof. I, I, I've been enraged since Monday. Thank God for Tucker Carlson. And even Jesse Waters is finally like becoming an actual reporter. I've watched him grow from being like silly to being meaningful. They have driven the agenda here completely, right? Nobody was talking about it. Tucker did the hard work a couple of nights in a row. He understands exactly what's going on here. And now they're starting to arrive late in East Palestine. But here's what's happened. I I covered a lot of environmental disasters when I was at CBC, and I was quite good at it. I covered Love Canal, which is like a two-hour drive from Toronto where I live. It was a city contaminated by hooker chemical. In, nine, in the 1970s, a woman named Lois Gibbs of the Homeowners Association had to take two EPA agents hostage in her office to get the payout they needed to move, right? But it took them two years. It took them two years. Um, and a phrase was used about Love Canal that has always stuck with me, and that is that Love Canal was considered by the powers that be in America, Hooker Chemical, the EPA, all the rest of them, a sacrifice zone. Think about that a sacrifice zone, which means that the area is so contaminated, they stop really caring about it. They just pay the people off and they move on, right? And so I believe, I've been to the Hanford Hanford Nuclear Reservation that made the bomb for Hiroshima. I've been to the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska. I was there for a month. I've seen, I've been to these places where people's lives are ruined by environmental catastrophes. And um, I believe that Palestine, East Palestine, is going to be a sacrifice zone. I think at some point they're just going to say we can't fix it and walk away and, and leave. And they'll pay these people off. And the sad part of it is that the chemical reactions in the human body are so diverse, especially when there's heat involved, that we see acutely what happened, we see rashes and we see headaches and we see the dead chickens 10 miles away actually made me cry because I'm an animal lover. I saw that last night. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 these chemicals mostly have a, a cancer latency period of about 15 or 20 years, right? So what happens, and this is what I'm at Love Canal, they disperse and then later people are getting these weird cancers as a result of what happened 20 years ago. Same with Three Mile Island, it's the same thing. 
that is what we're seeing here. But I, I, I think the bigger point, and this tells us where we are right now, nobody gives a feck about those people because they're white and they're poor and they voted for Donald Trump. And that is the absolute truth. I went to some of the top environmental agencies in America, which tend to be left-leaning, but they shouldn't care, right? None of them have East Palestine on their websites. Greenpeace isn't in East Palestine. They should be there organizing people to fight the power, to fight um, Norfolk Southern, which, by the way, is owned by BlackRock, right, the most powerful corporation in the world. Uh, that funds all of these, all of these uh, political, all these politicians. So, so this is an absolute worst case scenario that highlights for me the abandonment of the of the working class, black and white have been abandoned, but in this case, white working class. Maybe if they'd been black, Pete Buttigieg might have. I think he, maybe he did show up or he's on the way or something. But actually, you know what, Pete, stay away because you don't know what you're doing, right? He's only there for a photo op now. He needs to stay away, right? So this is what this is what happens. It's it's kind of like what I said a minute ago if a tree, about the shot, right? If they 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 think now, if we don't report on this, we don't have to acknowledge that it's real, right? There was another train derailment today out of Detroit, and you will find today? I, yeah. Okay, I'm behind so, the scenes. Do we yeah. have that, JT? Okay, we've got it. We're gonna yeah. We'll, and I, I think what show later. I think what's going to happen is that um, is that this is going to end up being a story of massive, massive oh, corruption. My word, right? And um, and these poor people will. I hope they get that they should be gone now. Why are they not in hotels? Immig you know, illegal immigrants are in hotels in New York right now. Why aren't Americans? who are actually literally at risk right now. They're not just vulnerable. They're like at risk of dying of exposure, right? Why aren't they being bust out and put in decent places to live? No one cares. They don't even have a good audio system at the town hall or the town venue where they're trying to, to protest. You can barely hear what they're saying. I mean, it makes me absolutely angry. Remember the phrase sacrifice zone. East Palestine is a sacrifice zone. They don't care about it. They don't. Oh, well, that, you know, you're shedding light uh, on, on this from your experience that, you know, different aspects that I, I didn't see. You're right. Like, and, you know, they, they shouldn't be there, but I guess they don't have funds to maybe go grab a, they don't. a holiday in down, down the road yeah, uh, no, a few hundred miles. Yeah. Yeah. No, they don't. That's what they said, that they're like, these are America's poorest of the poor. You know, it's a trailer park region. It, it's the hollowed out of America which was done, by the way, by the McKinsey Consulting Group that convinced all these big companies that employed workers and paid them well back in the day to open up shops overseas. That was McKinsey. Guess whose only actual job he's ever had worked at McKinsey? Pete Buttigieg is a McKinsey guy, the most corrupt consulting company in the world. McKinsey also set up many of the uh, medical advisory tables that were advising governments during COVID. That was McKinsey who did that. They did the Ontario science table. They did Quebec. They come in, they get huge fees. They're all friends with the politicians and they set up these things that don't work, right? So that's what's going on there. Power is playing out. Even DeWine, who is a Republican, looks like a complete fool today. He looks like a fool. He's not advocating for his people. 
at all. So it's it's hard for me to watch. I I have someone on tomorrow who's going to talk about what it means from a chemical poisoning perspective, but I'm going to keep talking about it until they sort it out because it's it's what's in store for all of us if we don't see what's happening. They, they, you know, we are serfs; they don't care about us, and um, and the, and the legacy media by not holding to account is only making it worse. Shame Absolutely. on them. Yes. Right? And Tucker Carlson has been covering how it just makes no sense that they just lit all of that on fire. Even to me, who doesn't know much, I, I don't I don't want to mix bleach and certain products in my home, but I wouldn't want to light all that stuff on fire. It seems obvious that that would be exploding into the air and exploding into everything around. And there is a cloud moving apparently toward Lake Erie, which is kind of interesting. I have a cottage down on Lake that we rent down on Lake Erie, so I'm a bit worried about that. But, but the bigger thing that I, I really want your listeners to, uh, to and viewers to understand is that that kind of contamination, groundwater, soil, land, houses, people, used to be the thing that got the left fired right up. They raised money on it. And they created organizations around it, and they have not said a peep about that. So what that means is that the organizations that that should be helping rescue those people by saying like, don't sign the forms and don't go in your house and don't don't they should be there helping them, they're not going because the people there voted for Donald Trump. That's where we are right now. Like that's insane. Yes, I, I mean when you look at what's happened with the Biden administration. Uh, you know, the defund the police and then, oh, we want to, you know, cut the crime and all of that and all the lies that Biden told even on the, you know, on his uh, speech to the nation there that he did. Just absolute nonsense. These people are insane. Well, I, I understand. I called Erin Brockovich yesterday to see if she would come on the show she didn't respond. She's too busy, I'm sure. But she is apparently going there. So she'll be telling them like I Tucker had a woman on last night who said that they'd only test the water if she signed a release saying that right. they weren't going to sue like that's I think the Love Canal people got like 150 million dollars and what's interesting about Love Canal they moved they, they fixed it up and then they moved some people back everybody wants a deal nobody can afford a house so they moved there they've been assured it's fixed and now they're going through a very similar thing. Everybody's saying, oh, there's a funny smell and I, I miscarried my baby. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's madness. It's absolute madness. It so was I, neat I, to see Erin um, Brockovich, uh, you brought her up on, you know, she's actually been weighing in on all of this yeah, and, and that's yeah. fantastic. And that should scare them to death because clearly so. she knows what she's doing. And now she's got the funds, you know, to, to probably invest uh, in making sure someone's accountable. Well, yeah, and I, I, I read somewhere today that, uh, and this is the stuff you got to pay attention to, Norfolk Southern had a massive profit in the last couple of years, and instead of putting that money back into their own infrastructure and the safety of the trains, they did a stock buyback to make Wall Street happy, right? Like, that's what's going on here. And I will also say that the breaking problem, you're going to be hearing from um, a guy named David Sirota, who's a really good investigative journalist. Um, I hate to say it, but under Donald Trump, they were allowed to, um, to, to not install a better breaking technology that Obama had wanted them to. Um, and that was maybe perceived to be the cause of this. And so that's what they're saying. Oh, Trump did it. But you know what? I'm sorry. Like you've been in power how many years now? 
you can't keep blaming Trump. Trump shouldn't have done it. I, I agree. I think it was wrong. But but they've had two years to fix it. And the person who was criticizing the move told this newspaper called Lever News, um, even though a former federal safety official recently warned Congress that without the better breaks, there will be more derailments and more releases of hazardous materials. So Pete Buttigieg is sitting around. We've all seen the clip. Oh, there were too many white construction workers or whatever. That's like maybe not fair. But he should have been there with a hard hat on a week ago, holding hands and handing out water, right? They don't care. How more obvious can it be that they do not care about poor white people who voted for Donald Trump? Uh, This is absolutely shocking. Um, Can you imagine if it were the other way around, right? If this had happened in a Democratic state, you know, near one of those uh, crazy governors, um, they'd be, you know, calling for natural, you know, disaster emergency yep. and demanding yep. billions of dollars be sent immediately. Um, you're, you're right. And this is a sad testimony to our, our world. Um, where can people follow you? So I have a Twitter account, which is at Wood Reporting. I have a website, which is www.trishwoodpodcast.com. I have a podcast that you can listen to on my website, but it's also on all every platform. You can sort of find it there. I have, um, oh, what else do I have? I have a whole bunch of social media I never go to because I hire, per- I hate it, right? I hate it, <laughs> except Twitter, I do Twitter. But it's all done by my friend Dorothea, my assistant. So I'm on a bunch of those. That is fantastic. Are you enjoying, uh, we're, we're going to, uh, have to close off because our zoom uh, time is going to be done but uh, trish are you enjoying being able to report from a position and being able to speak and say anything you want no one tells you what to say or not yeah i said to my husband last night if i was younger and not fully committed on some other projects i would have been in my car last night driving to east palestine to kick some butt down there which i always love to do but you know what i hate to say it i never was a fan of rebel news but i'm starting to they're kind of winning me over with their jump interviews and stuff and they're down in east palestine and that so it's night with young 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 reporters who i think are really terrific i just i cheer for them so yeah, I love being able to say what I think and I because I know what I'm talking about. And it's sort of like if you want to challenge me, then bring facts. Don't do some stupid ad hominem thing that I once had lunch with Pat King or something, which is what <laughs> they do. Right? It's ridiculous. I never had lunch with Pat King, by the way, but yeah, it would have been fine. But that's what they do. So I I just, you know, they that that is the thing. The thing is that they they never challenge with facts because they lose on the facts. Always. Always they lose on the facts. I am always so blessed in speaking with you. You're such a fascinating person. Thank you for all you do. Uh, Keep doing it. Keep bringing the real news with your experience and uh, your perspective on life. All that you've been through makes you such a treasure to us as Canadians and to the world. I appreciate it, Trish. Thanks. I appreciate you and what you're doing. So Thank you. Let's do this way more often. We should. I know. Than a year apart. Yeah. Okay. I know we can talk girl stuff too right. one day. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's okay. do it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Trish. Take Bye. care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. 
Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.